Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Well, I'm just excited about uh, being here today, and I'm excited about where the church is at, and I'm about excited about the season uh, that, that we're in as a church of the body of Christ. And, and we just carry a great burden on our hearts for the body of Christ, for the body of Christ to be all that she can be in this season. Take a hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. And I just believe that uh, God would speak to us today, believing that it would bring a word in season for you as a church, for you as an individual. And uh, on that note, can I pray? And we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to come around your word. And I pray you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and a knowledge of you. We don't want to just learn about you today, but we want to encounter you, encounter your grace, encounter your truth, encounter your presence, that we may be transformed and changed in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that perspective is a powerful thing? Your perspective on life, have you discovered that you can grow in the same family, have the same parents, and uh, your perspective of your parents can be quite different yeah. <laughs> from, your, from your brother or from your sister, and that actually impacts a lot, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Perspective, perspective is a powerful thing. The right perspective, I believe, that can elevate your life. The wrong one can eliminate potential and, and hold us back and, and stop us stepping into what God has for us. And so I want to, I want to talk about perspective. I want to encourage your perspective and really want to kind of drill into the idea that the perspective you hold, particularly in the day of challenge, how many of you have ever faced a challenge in life? (laughs) If you didn't put your hand up, if you could just get up and fly around the room for a moment because you are an angel or something, you know, I don't know. Uh, Challenge, life is filled with challenges and that's why we need Jesus, right? It's not something wrong with you because you're facing a challenge. It's just uh, jump up in there and click your heels together. You've got more need for Jesus in your life now. So, but your perspective of that challenge, I want to, I want to help us get a different perspective of our challenges this morning, uh, and something that God would want to encourage us with. I believe there was a man. I don't know. Maybe Dave shared this story. It's one of my favourite stories I've heard. But it was a man who who had uh, been in the pub all night and stumbled out in the in in the morning. The sun was up. People were off to work, and he's stumbling down the road, and uh, and a nun is walking the other way. Uh, you know, in a, in a habit. And um, did I say that right? Does it habit? Does it? Well, they wear a, yes. Anyway, uh, and she's walking the other way and she sees him stumbling along. She's like, I'm just going to cross the road. And so he looks up and kind of wipes his eyes and sees her crossing the road. And so he crosses the road as well and uh, starts walking towards her so we can just keep on the same line as her. And uh, she's like, okay, this is a bit awkward. And she doesn't know what to do. And he gets closer and closer. And she's trying to step around him. And he steps this way. And she tries to step around him the other way. He steps this way. And people, by this point, people are like are watching and there's people are just stopped and what's going on? What's he going to do? And he kind of just looks at her and he just, he winds back and just pop. <laughs> I don't know if this story is a good one, actually. Uh, but anyway, she falls over and uh, and then he, he tries to jump on it. He's going to have another go at it. And the people by this point have seen what's going on. So they come back and they grab him and they're restraining him and not going, what's going on? And and, and they work out what is, what's going on when he kind of goes, see, you're not so tough now, are you, Batman? <laughs> His perspective was different to other people. Sorry. Uh, Terrible story. I'm not even, anyway. Perspective. How many of you know his perspective was a little bit off? 
But your perspective often informs the decisions you make and how you respond in certain circumstances. I just, it, it, it appeals to me, that one, so I love it. But you know, your perspective, your perspective. Often we have the wrong perspective of God. Often we can have the wrong perspective of ourselves. Often we can have the wrong perspective of, of the seasons of our life. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, perspective. You know, I think a lot of people have a perspective of God that He's angry or mean or, or waiting uh, to, to be impressed before He blesses. And, 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 and you know, perspectives like that will limit you uh, in God. And uh, we can have a perspective. I, I wonder if some of us often have a perspective uh, or, or, a, or an opinion of the enemy that's elevated above what it should be. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, when the, Spirit of the, Lord, uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. That's how most Bibles translate and put that comma. And I've got some friends who are into, into Hebrew and they say that comma is most likely in the wrong place. It's amazing that the perspective that one comma gives you. When the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. My friends tell me that it would probably be more accurate to put this comma in front of uh, the flood. So it, it should read more like when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. So do you have a perspective of a flooding enemy or a flooding Savior? A flood of the Spirit of God. I, I just think a lot of people out there have a, have a perspective of a flooding enemy, just waiting for the enemy to get them, just waiting for the enemy to get the upper hand. I don't. I have a perspective of a flooding Spirit of the Lord raising up a standard. What's your perspective like? I wonder what your perspective's like of the challenges you face, the obstacles that come your way. Perspective in the day of challenge. I love uh, one of the quotes from General uh, uh, Douglas MacArthur when he said, you know, the enemy is in front of us, the enemy is behind us, the enemy is to the left and the enemy is to the right. They cannot escape us this time. <laughs> what a great perspective. What a great perspective. Will your challenge be used by God to hold you back or to elevate your life. Two scriptures this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And then uh, we're going to read a couple of verses out of Psalm 23. Ever heard of Psalm 23 before? Good. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I hope it's 2 Timothy. I'm just looking at it now thinking, I wonder if this is 1 Timothy. Anyway, someone will tell me in a moment. For this reason, I also suffer these things, Paul says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Can I read that again? Because I want, to, I want you to see the progression in here. For this reason, I suffer these things. What's he, now, he's talking about challenges. He's going, walk, he's a guy who's walking through some challenges. But I'm not ashamed. Even in my challenge, I'm not ashamed. He's got a, he's got a different perspective. For I know whom I believed, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that He is, I know and I have believed, but I am now persuaded. I wonder if too many people stop, well, I know, I know, and they just stop there and they think that's going to anchor them in the time of trial. Yeah, I know God loves me, but I don't know if you really believe that. And if you really believe that, are you persuaded? There's a difference between knowing 
believing and being persuaded. Yeah, yeah, I know God's promises that He'll work all things together for good. Yeah, I know that, but do you believe it? But even if you believe it, are you fully persuaded? Because it's what you're persuaded of that informs your perspective. And your perspective is what determines the outcome in the day of challenge. Now, let me give you another another couple of verses here. Psalm 23, for the sake of time this morning, a beautiful psalm. Let's just start in verse 4 for what I want to talk about. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, David said. Even though I walk through. Can we just emphasize, underline, I think, in your Bibles, the word through. Process. Not destination. Right? Even though I walk through. The valley of the shadow of death. Uh, my, my, my Bible college lecturer used to say, if you're going through hell, don't stop. You're going through. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, I get excited about God's Word. Oh, sorry, I'm just going to keep reading. If I keep going on this, I'm not even going to finish this verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Verse 5, and this is the context of my message. You prepare a table before me in the presence of greatness. In the presence of everybody who supports me. No, even, look at this. You prepare a table for me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I want to talk on the subject this morning. Doubt won't take me out. Doubt won't take me out. Can you help me preach for just a moment? Can you turn to your neighbor and just look them in the eye and say, doubt won't take you out. Doubt won't take me out. Come on, talk to somebody else now. Doubt won't take me out. One of the biggest challenges, I believe. It's what we're going to talk about this morning. Honestly, I want to be like David. I think David, you know, when when the Bible says David was a man after God's heart. I want to be like that. Anybody want to be a man or a woman after God's heart? How do you be recognized as someone as a man or a woman after God's heart? I think they are the people who pursue God's heart, right? It's not rocket science, isn't it? Be a person who pursues God's heart and you'll be a person after God's heart. One thing I know about David, though, is that he faced obstacles. Have you discovered that about David yet? Have you discovered that about, about most of the men and the women that we celebrate in the Scripture? They weren't, uh, they weren't uh, 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 people who avoided or, or didn't have challenges in their lives. I love this about the Bible. It's not writing this fairy tale story where everybody just you know, is running through the tulips and smelling the roses all day, every day, right? It, it paints this picture of a very realistic life. And David's saying, even though I walk through the darkest valley, not if I walk through the darkest valley, even though when I walk through the valley, I have a solution. I have a perspective that's going to anchor me. I have a revelation that's going to hold me. That's going to mean that I'll be able to suffer these things, Paul says, because I know and have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able. What do you do when things aren't working out the way you thought they would? <laughs> Prayer is a good response, I would suggest. Challenges will come and they're not a sign that you've done something wrong. But I think I want to suggest to you and propose to you this morning that David's greatest challenges weren't the ones that happened around him and they weren't the Goliaths he faced. But if we want to have a real honest look at Scripture, the darkest, most difficult challenges and obstacles that David faced were the ones that were internal. 
how he processed the challenge and disappointments and despairs and doubts. I want to suggest to you this morning that your biggest battle is not out there, but it's in here and in here. Uh, We talk about our enemies and talk about overcoming the enemy, but I think one of the greatest enemies that I've had to face is the enemy in me. My thoughts, my thinking. Isn't that what Paul taught us when he talked about spiritual warfare? He said, taking captive every thought. That's where the strongholds exist. That's he, Paul's talking about, he's saying, you know, in 2 Corinthians, that's where the challenge exists. And it's not what you go through that will make or break you in life. It's not, do I go through an enemy? Do I go through a challenge? It's what you allow to go through you. You following me? It's not how big a storm you are in that should concern you. It's how much of the storm you allow to get on the inside of your boat. Because a, a boat is built to sail through a storm, but when the storm gets in the boat, that's when it can sink. The only enemy that can stop me, like I've already said, is the enemy enemy, what I believe about what is happening. And I, I just kind of discovered, and I've been following Jesus, I think, probably not that long, and, and in a whole lot of, you know, uh, you know, uh, Opinions, but you know, 20 plus years now, and, and preaching the gospel for 20 years, and a ministry in a church for, for 15, 16 years. And, 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 and there's just something I've discovered, and that thing that I've discovered is the biggest obstacle that I face is doubt, discouragement, and disappointment. They could be for me the greatest challenges that I face in terms of pressing to believe for God to do and hold on to the promises of God and beginning continuing to pursue the call of God in my life. Doubt, discouragement, disappointment. I'm going to talk about doubt this morning. And, and the, thought, the interesting thing about doubt is that doubting doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't make you a bad Christian. Right? Did you notice that? Doubt. We kind of think, oh, I've got doubts. Oh, no, I shouldn't talk about that because people will think I'm a bad Christian. No, no, you're supposed to have doubts, right? But you're supposed to process your doubts. And then it's the processing of doubt that we come to a point of trusting God. So that's beneficial. It's when you don't process your doubts that you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> it's, when, it's, not, it's not when you have doubt that you're in trouble. It's when doubt has you that you're in trouble. It's how you deal with doubt that will limit you or lift you. Think about Thomas, right? The the apostle that doubted. But there came a point through his doubting that he processed it and come to a deeper place of faith and moved on from his doubts. So so don't despair because you have doubts. Don't don't look at me and go, well, I'm going to talk about some of the doubts that I've had to process and some of the doubts that I still struggle with. Don't look at me and, 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 and think, oh, well, feel sorry for that brother. He's full of doubts. No, 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 no. Feel sorry for the brother who stops processing their doubts. Feel sorry for the brother who keeps their doubts to themselves and not afraid to process it with the family of believers because those doubts have the ability to push them down and to blow up in their face at some point in time. We, we think, oh, I'm, I'm bad Christian because I... I don't have faith because I have doubts. Why are two-thirds of the Psalms, Psalms of disillusionment and despondency? Why would they be in there if God wasn't trying to get us the message that we will have doubts and despair, but, it, but we need the Word and we need the Scripture and we need to lament and we need to grieve and we need to learn how to process so that we can move through our doubts so that doubt won't take us out. I just kind of got this in my heart for you this morning because I just, I just feel like we need to have a healthier environment in the body of Christ to process doubt because we can't stay in doubt. That's my message this morning. 
We will have doubts, but we can't stay in those doubts if we're going to take a hold of the abundant life. We can't keep doubting faith, right, in God. We've got to process that honestly. Uh, We can't doubt, keep doubting the call of God if we're going to actually take a hold of the call of God. Too many churches come under a spirit of doubt, and you know, and doubting leadership decisions and doubt, 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 doubt. Unprocessed doubt will limit and hold you back. So let's talk about our doubts, right? Let's process them and let's learn how to overcome them so our doubts don't take us out. Is that all right? I think my biggest, one of my biggest battles through the journey has been doubt. And let me tell you about a more recent experience, I guess, was that in the start of last year, 2017, I just got to that point where I was just struggling internally with where were the finances going to come through for the next season? Where was the team that we needed and the leaders and just the weight of, and, and, and you know, we've kind of come this far in launching Revolution Church in Christchurch, but it's not yet, it's so far away from what God showed us. It is easy to doubt the seed when God's showing you the tree, yeah. right? But God's promises don't come as the tree, they come as the seed and you've got to learn how to work the seed and that's why doubt can cripple so many people because they look at the seed and think God's finished. <laughs> So I'm lying in bed, I'm waking in the night and I'm just doubt and I've got doubt and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this. Am I the right person to be leading this church? And just these thoughts, wrestling. And to be honest, I got to that point where I wonder if I'm done. I wonder if this is as far as I can go. And and several times in my mind, I was trying to process how I was going to tell my team and how I was going to tell my board, how I was going to resign. Because doubt was unprocessed and unchecked and unchallenged. God took me on this journey. In fact, Dave, could I get you to give me a hand for a second? Would you possibly, is it all right if I lift that table onto stage? For uh, No, it's fine like that, just as an illustration. And maybe a seat. Can I get a a seat to go with it of some sort? One of those stools is fine. That'd be great. Thank you. I really should have set this up sooner, eh? (laughs) Hell well. Beautiful. God took me on a journey. Thank you. That's perfect. Put our hands together for Dave. I just said put our hands together, but a few people were like, woo! So you got a woo, not just a clap. That's awesome. I'm feeling the love for you, man. God took me on a journey through Psalm, the book of Psalm 23, particularly. It took me to that passage and to that verse and caused me to begin to focus on, I prepare a table for you in the presence of, of your enemies. And for me, I felt like I had a lot of enemies in my mind. Doubt, discouragement, disappointment, disillusionment, despair. Struggling, wrestling, waking in the night, cold sweats. Just, you know, and, 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 and God just took me to this passage. He said, now, now, now think about it, Steve. I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That's right. He said, so, so why are you... When I have prepared a table, now the, the, the table in the Bible, right, from the start, from the Garden of Eden to, to, to Revelation, the, the, the Bible is a story of a meal, right? It's a story of connection and communion with God and His provision for us. And, you know, so when God prepares a table, He prepares a feast, right? And he, he takes me to that point, He says, now Steve, you, you're sitting at the table that I've prepared for you because you're seated with me in heavenly realms, that's, that's your salvation. But my problem with you, Steve, is at this season is that 
You keep looking at your enemy. You're more worried about your enemy. You're more focused on your enemy. You're more focused on your opposition. You're more focused on your obstacles. You're giving more time and attention and thoughts to your challenge than you are to the feast that I have prepared. The feast, the feast, right? I am the bread of life. Man does not live by word alone, but by every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I've discovered in the day of challenge, the voice of accusation will challenge the voice of revelation. So in the day of challenge, you have a choice of looking to your enemy and listening to the accuser or, 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 or looking to the Savior and at the table and his feasts and feasting on revelation. And the enemy will always challenge you over what God has called you. And God spoke to me in the night and said, Steve, why are you giving doubt a voice at the table? And that's what I was doing, man. It's not, it's, not bad. it's not bad to have doubts. It's bad when you give doubts a voice at the table. <laughs> Thank you, Eden. Was that applause because I was, you know, liked the point or because I was actually stopped yelling and you kind of like, fuel my ears. <laughs> I'll take it either way. It's good. I know. Right, I know. Yeah, no, no. I know he's got provision. I know he loves me. I know. I know. No, 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 no. Don't just know. You've got to come to a place where you believe. I believe. I be- and I am persuaded that he, right, is able. Is able. Place of revelation is the target of accusation. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the challenge. Here's the journey that God took me on again. And I've done this journey before. It seems to me in every season of my life, I've got to come back here and go deeper with it. I've got to feast. What does that mean? I've got, to, I've, I've got to find his revelation. I've got to find his word. But here's the challenge with that. I am seated at the table. He is there. The answer's there. The solution's there. The challenge is, do I feast on it? Now what, now, what am I getting to here? He, do you know, when it comes to sermons, when it comes to messages, when it comes to preaching, do you know the most powerful messages and sermons that you will ever hear and not the ones you will hear on a Sunday? The most powerful and life-changing sermons that you will ever hear are the ones that are going on internally on Monday. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm believing, I'm hoping that God will use this to bring impact and change, but the impact and change will only happen as the sermon you hear today is the sermon that you begin to preach to yourself tomorrow. Let the meditation of my heart, what is that? That it's an internal conversation. So I want to talk to you about for the next few moments, if you'll let me, what the sermons I had to learn to preach to myself, to feast at the table and to stop doubt and to be able to be here a year and a half later, more in love with Jesus, more committed to his body, preaching the best messages I've ever preached in my life. Thank you. I'll just applaud myself. Doubt didn't take me out because I went back to the internal dialogue and learned again to preach to myself the feast that he had prepared for me. Do you want to know the sermons I've pre- learned to preach to myself in this last season? They're really simple sermons and they're really short. And I'll just give you a few of them this morning. But I believe if we would learn to preach these kind of sermons to ourselves day in, day out, then that is how we learn to stop giving doubt the voice at the table. And to feast on him. 
Here's, here's message number one I've learned again to preach to myself. And I'm going to use David. We're talking about David and his psalm, so let's use a few of his thoughts and examples. First sermon I've learned to preach to myself again in this season. And that I have, and you have to, have to preach it to yourself because it's in the preaching of, of it to yourself that it goes from knowing to believing to becoming persuaded. I tell myself every day that I'm deeply loved by God. That's for free. That's not one of the sermons I put on my point. But, but I, I realize that if I don't preach to myself every day that I'm deeply loved by God, that I'll begin to stray from that in my imaginations. Sermon number one, though, to get out of doubt in this season, I learned to preach to myself again, and I've preached this over the years in different ways, but I learned to preach that I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. Not because of my merit, but because of how He sees me. I am enough. Because in His mind, I am enough. Do you, do you feel like that or do you feel constantly under the weight of I am not enough? Because that was what's happening to me. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I shouldn't be here because I, I just think, I just think I'm just, I, I'm not enough. And that's the accuser, right? Whereas God say, no, you are enough, Steve. And I had to learn to preach to myself, I am enough. Now think about David's journey. Think about how he turned up one day as a young lad and his father had sent him off to take cheeseburgers to his, to his brothers who were at war against the Philistines. And he skips along, you know, and the Bible says he's, he's ruddy and handsome. Uh, you know, and he's just a young guy, and they're like, he, he gets down there, and, he, and the Philistines had been opposing them, and, and Goliath was standing against the purposes of God, and everybody's afraid. Everybody's letting doubt be their voice. We can't do it. We can't overcome him. He's too big. <laughs> we are not enough. Doubt's their voice, and David comes along, and he has a different confession, doesn't he? He says, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would stand against? And what do the brothers say? The brothers say, well, who do you think you are? Right? I mean, you know, it's one thing for our enemies to taunt us. It's another thing when the ones who are supposed to support us and encourage us. And, but we listen, right? And we shouldn't. You know, and David's like, well, you know, he just, he just turned a deaf ear, didn't he? He just, he just turned and says, now what are they going to do for the person over? He didn't even listen. He didn't. Don't, some of us, that's the message for some of us. We need to stop giving ear to the voice of those who are discouraging, right? Just turn away. That's what David said. Oh, well, nah, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? He, off he goes. Think about David. Think about how the, his life was set up, how he so could have, so easily could have lived on the I am not enough. The chapter preceding, 1 Kings 16, uh, Jesse comes uh, to anoint the next king of, uh, not Jesse, Samuel comes to Jesse's place. I better get my facts right. I'm a preacher after all. Oh, I'm not enough. That's the internal. You make a mistake like that, your internal can go, oh, you know, you should have been better than that. Nah, 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 come on. <laughs> right? I am enough because, anyway. Showing you how this works. <laughs> and he says, bring in your sons. And, you know, Eliab, nope. Abinadab, nope. Shema, nope. Not. And he goes right through the list. And, no, no, none of these sons. Are you king? Are these it? Well, there is one more. Right? Think, about, think about a complex, Right? When you find out that everybody's invited, they're going to choose one of the king, the next king from this house. Your dad was told to invite all the sons. Why didn't he invite me? And I've heard people say, oh, it's because someone had to look after the sheep. He was a wealthy man. He had sheep hands. 
wasn't because he didn't have enough people to look after his sheep. There was another reason at play. Now, we don't know exactly what that is, but we, some people, scholars, have speculated that because David, when you look in one passage, it looks like he had a, his mother had a different name from his brothers. So it could well be that he was the family secret, which would, in my mind would make more sense of the scripture where David said, in sin, my mother has conceived me rather than being the great scripture for total depravity, being a scripture highlighting the potential that David lived under the weight of being a shame in a society. And his brothers wouldn't even talk to him. His brothers despised him. Constantly living under the burden, I am not enough. The doubt that could have weighed him. The the accusation from the enemy, you are inadequate. And I want to just tell you this morning that stop, someone here needs to stop trying to write themselves off when God is trying to write you in. He knew you weren't perfect. He knew you had weaknesses. He knew you had failings. And He loved you anyway. And He called you anyway. And He worked through you anyway. You are enough. Why? Because He says you're enough. Enough to be loved. Enough to be brought into His family. Enough to be used by His purposes. So I've got all these thoughts from my background. Things like I'm dyslexic. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that trying to be a preacher and trying to write uh, to encourage saints and stuff like that. So what's your excuse? (laughs) I am enough because He says I'm enough. He called me to this. Therefore, Him plus me is still a majority. (laughs) Everyone's going, everyone's going, ah, he's too big, he's too big. And David's going, yeah, he's too big to miss. Perspective. Start preaching, I am enough. Second message I preach to myself is God's purpose is always worth it. He turns that day to his brothers and he says, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to roast him, really. And they're trying to, they're trying to suggest that, you know, everybody else is afraid. Nobody wants to put their hand up to do something great with their lives to be used by God. And he turns around and the New King James translation, he says, but hey, look, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And in the day where you're doubting your faith journey and you're doubting your involvement and you're doubting whether your serving's making a difference and you doubt, because we all have that, right? Yeah, we're supposed to, you know, we've been laying the foundation for a long time now. How are we going to see the breakthrough? How are we going to see the soul saved? How are we going to see transformation in our community? Is there not a cause? God's purposes are always worth it because in the middle of my doubt, I'm sitting there going, well, you know what? I could be, I could probably, probably, <laughs> tongue in cheek, probably be earning a little bit more if I was doing this kind of role out in the secular workplace. And uh, I say probably because, you know, uh, anyway, Oh, come on. That was anyway. It's a bit of fun there. And you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, on Saturday nights, you know, all my friends are watching the Crusaders again, take out the Super Rugby, uh, you know, and I'm like, I've got to be message prepping. And I'm like, man, you know, Saturday nights and everyone else off up ski fields on a Sunday. And, and, you know, I'm starting to, I've got doubts because I'm in challenge and I'm under stress and my mind's starting to go, well, you know, it'd be quite a bit easier. And we're always up against spiritual opposition because we're always trying to take ground. and, (laughs) And if the enemy's not having to go, you, you should be worried because you ain't doing nothing for God, right? Uh, <laughs> and you know, maybe it would be nicer to have a break and to get, take it easy for a while. And, and, and you know, Saturday nights I could go to rugby matches and, ah, 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 and and I had to come back and say, no, God's 
cause and God's purpose is always worth it. So I'll preach till he comes. I'll pray to all know, right? Because the church is the hope for humanity. Because we carry and we steward a message of hope and transformation and salvation for all. And you'll be tempted to doubt whether your service and your sacrifice and your offering is making a difference. But, but come back to the table. Why should I give my life when everyone else isn't, right? I want us to become fully persuaded again that the church is still God's plan to roll out the redemption for humanity, but it will come at a cost. The church, the gospel is the hope, right? The church is God's plan. People go, people, I reckon people say stupid things. Well, the enemy has the upper hand. Mm. The enemy has the upper hand. Not since the cross, right? What Bible are you reading? The reason we're not seeing breakthrough is because the enemy over the spiritual territory and the darkness and demons and ah. No, 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 no. If, if he's got the upper hand, it's simply because we're not presenting an example and the message and the demonstration of the gospel and the kingdom like we're supposed to because everywhere the gospel goes, the darkness is driven back. Yeah. Well, people aren't interested in spiritual things, you know. People these days aren't, young people, not interested in spiritual things. What planet are you on? The, the, the TV series that are taking the world by storms all have supernatural themes and threads and eternity and life after death and even zombies and vampires talking about blood and talking about eternal life and talking about living life but being dead because you're not live on the inside. It seems like everybody knows that the world is interested in spiritual things apart from some church people. <laughs> Just want to make an excuse for not giving it all for the cause of the kingdom. Paul said, you know, I bear in my body the, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they come to and say, Paul, we're going to kill you for your example of the gospel. He says, that's cool, the die is gain. Oh, probably shouldn't kill him. He thinks that's too good. Let's let him live. That's cool to live as Christ. <laughs> oh, be not kill him, be not let him live. Maybe we should just persecute him. That's right. I consider that the sufferings of this time shall not be worth comparing with the glory that we revealed upon me. <laughs> The gospel, you know, Steve's trans, the new Steve's translation of what Paul's attitude was, his perspective was, if you let me, if you kill me, I'll go and live with Christ. If you let me live, I'll live as Christ. And if you persecute me, I get more reward from Christ. So bring it on because everything to me is Christ. I learned to preach to myself again that God's purposes are worth it. Third thing I learned to preach to myself. Well, let, me, let me try and rattle through two more quickly. God's hand is on me in the middle. Somebody say God's hand is on me in the middle. What's the middle? The middle is that place between the promise and the fulfillment. That frustrating place, oh, you don't want to talk about that. That place where you begin to doubt, is, did God really say that? Did God really say that person? Did God really say that church? Did God really say that city? Did God really say it? Because he said it, but man, I, I just still, I'm in the middle, right? That place where doubt becomes your companion if you let it. Did God really say? Did God really say? Which happens to be one of the enemy's favorite lines in the wilderness. Did, right? Anyway, in the garden. Did God really say? The thing about David is he was anointed king one day. And then he became king the next three weeks after they recognized him on X Factor. <laughs> 15 years, 15 years in the middle, 
15 years in the wilderness, 15 years wandering as an outcast, being chased by Saul. I think about that, man. How is it that he can be sitting there playing the harp for the king when he knows he's the next king? God's already anointed him. He's playing the harp for the, for the king who's being tormented by a demon. Right? If ever there was a reason to, you know, to kind of like, you know, take out a leader, <laughs> right? He refused to do that because he knew that's not his role, right? There's a lesson in that. But anyway, you know, uh, you know he, he, and he's sitting there, he's playing the harp, and the guy gets so mad, he picks up a spear. So, so, so the, this guy in his hands has a harp. <laughs> this guy in his hands has a spear. Shoom, right? David gets all more, a Neo Matrix and, you know, whatever, I don't know, and, and just kind of sits there and then he kind of takes off. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, because I'm, you know, Scottish descent, I'm thinking, mate, just take that thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you're never tempted to take things into your own hands. Hey, take matter. I'm going to fulfill God's purpose. I'm going to make this happen. I, I, I'm sick of waiting. I'm just going to make it happen myself. No one ever thinks that way, right? <laughs> Why didn't he take things into his own hands? Is the question I've got. Could it be that he knew, even in the middle, that it wasn't his times, and he believed that there was another hand in the room, God's hand, and he trusted that God's hand was still on him, and that because God's hand was still on him. God would bring to pass what God said that he would bring to pass. The accusation in the middle is it's never going to happen. But the message I preach to myself is that God's hand is in on me, in the middle. So don't let the enemy con you into taking matters into your own hands. I'm going to give you one more quickly and get the worship team to come up because we're going to worship and just allow God to move in our hearts. You right out there? How many of you? How many of you would be honest enough? Oh, yeah, we're going to shift our table. That'd be great. How many of you would be honest enough to say, you know what? I'm recognizing this morning that I'm giving voice to doubt. Uh, it's giving doubt a voice at the table. Can you give, give me away? Praise God that you're here this morning. Praise God. So at the table, I've learned to say, no, no, God's hand is on me in the middle. One more I'll give you this morning is I've learned to preach to myself that God didn't bring me this far just to bring me this far. God did not bring me this far just to bring me this far. Now the idea from me comes when David faces his, effectively his last challenge before his anointed king. And it's a very difficult one. It's found in 1 Samuel 30, and it's at the place called Ziklag. David goes off to battle, and he comes home, and his enemy has destroyed his town, taken uh, his wife and his, his men's wives and children and plunder and everything, and, and, and burnt the city and run off. And if that wasn't a bad enough leadership day, David's men said, I think we should kill David because it's his fault. You ever had a leadership challenge like that? have a leadership challenge like that, you, you probably really need to learn how to internally draw your strength from God. The Bible says he wept till he didn't have any strength to weep. Great open grief. Grief. Uh, I just wish we learned how to grieve better in this culture. It's a very difficult 
Leadership Day. And the accusation that the enemy brings in those days is this is as far as you go. Ever heard that? This is as far as you go. You're not going to get any more victory. You've got this far in overcoming that addiction, but no, you're not going to overcome it fully. You've gone this far in your ministry, you're not going any further. You're going this far in reconciliation or restoration of that relationship, no further. This is as far as you go. And I have learned to preach to myself. What I believe God's Word echoes right throughout Scripture. God has not brought me this far just to bring me this far. That there is purpose in the challenge. That He will work all things together for good. I know it. I believe it. And now I'm beginning to become persuaded. So even though it looks like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I still don't have to fear any evil because His rod and staff is a picture. He he talks about the shepherd with the rod and the staff. The shepherd is about leading the sheep. He hasn't brought me this far to die in the wilderness. He hasn't brought me this far now to allow the wolf to take me out. His rod and his staff because he's still guiding. And if he's still guiding, I've still got further to go. He hasn't brought me this far just to bring me this far. Why? Because I know and I believe and I'm becoming persuaded that he who began a good work is faithful to bring it to the day of completion. And now I'm eating at the table. I'm eating at the table of revelation because he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. And this was the last test of the old season and the stepping stone. Right? volunteer from Dave can I get you a <laughs> so, so I'm sitting here and doubt saying doubt saying this is as far as you go this is as far as you go it's not very nice <laughs> trying to make a serious point and have some fun at the same time never really works you're the voice of doubt at the moment sorry about that next Sunday you get to be the voice of encouragement that'd be good still trying to have fun still not working okay alright so, you know, so I've just got to learn to not listen to the voice of doubt and defeat. God hasn't brought me this far. And he began to whisper, son, I haven't brought you this far just to bring you this far. I didn't, I didn't tell you about the church that I wanted you to pioneer in Christchurch and show you a picture of it to tease you, to torment you. And what I've discovered is when this obstacle doesn't become my focus, a way of bringing my obstacle to his knees. Sorry, I picked, I picked the wrong person. Sorry. And that which was, anybody follow Aussie rules? So when the joker's standing there like that and the ball's coming, what do you do? Oh, I'll just hang back. No, that which was once my obstacle now becomes my platform. Right, they climb up. Oh, that's the thing I love most about Aussie rules. They climb up the guy's back to give them elevation. And this is my message when we learn how to give him the voice at the table and feed on his word. That which was my obstacle ends up becoming my launching pad. What's your perspective of your challenges? Because I've learned in God that my doubts, I'm going to give you a hand up here, are the launching pads. 
for the next thing that God wants to do in my life. He hasn't finished with me yet. I've had to walk through an earthquake journey where I thought I've lost all emotional energy in the town and the city has become depleted of energy and vision. I've walked through bullying as a teenager and depression and and all the time no he never brought me that far just to bring me that far he hasn't brought you this far to bring you this far can I get you to stand to your feet we're going to pray this morning we're going to worship and believe the spirit of the Lord to lead us on a journey in these next few moments this is so will I eh? if the creation prays so will I is that the line is that you know, I think this song is a great declaration that I choose to sit at the table and I refuse to allow doubt and discouragement and disappointment a voice at the table of my heart. And I'm going to choose to feast on His Word. I am enough to Him. I am enough in Him and I am enough through Him. Right? God's, God's purposes are still worth it. Worth it. God's hand is on me in the middle. And He hasn't brought me this far just to bring me this far. Would you raise your hands towards heaven? I want to pray. I want to pray, particularly if you've been struggling with doubt in this last season. Praise God that you're struggling. It's when we give up the struggle that we're in trouble. God, I want to pray. Ask that your spirit would descend in this place. That you would bring revelation. God, that you would speak to us and that you would take us on a journey of discovering who is sitting at our table and it's Jesus. The Lord himself wanting to feed us, wanting to nurture us, wanting to give us the nutrients we need for this next season. I think of, I think of Jonathan when he was out and the men were told not to eat and he stumbles into the forest and he sees honey and he takes the honey and his eyes brighten, the Bible says. His eyes brighten. God, may we find the honey of your word in this moment that our eyes would brighten, that our eyes would begin to be able to see you as you are, see what you're doing, see where you're working, see what you've got in store for this next season, I pray. May the enemies and voices of doubt be silenced in this atmosphere and may we learn how to silence them tomorrow, we pray. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you give Jesus some applause in this place and thank Him for His truth. Thank Him for His Word. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org